morning, good afternoon, good evening and good night. Wherever you are in the world, as you tune in, you are most welcome to Ireland Creates, the podcast all about storytellers, those with a connection to the Emerald Isle and those based here long term. I'm your host, Ashling O'Rourke. I am a communications coach and you can find out more about me and my work as a broadcaster and a coach on ashlingorourke.com. Well, I hope you are safe and well as you tune into Ireland Creates today. We are on the wind down towards the summer holidays and I will be taking a good chunk of time off this summer for some R&R over June, July and August. But Ireland Creates season three will be back in September. So on to our guest today and she is a woman who I have followed for some time now and I am genuinely delighted that we have our first YouTuber on this week's episode of Ireland Creates. I hope you enjoy her story. for having me so my name is Catherine I am a brand new author and I am a youtuber um it's very hard to describe yourself when you have I suppose many feathers to your hat is that the phrase but I do um some DIY and craft stuff and I share it online with my creative corner of the internet and community Well, Catherine, thank you so much for joining me today on Ireland Creates. Um, For listeners, if your voice is sounding familiar, they may have heard you on Claire Burns' radio show on RT Radio 1, but also from your YouTube series, Dainty Dress Diaries. And Catherine, I have to admit, I have been renovating my own home over the last couple of years and uh, I have followed your work with intrigue and learned a bit along the way. So thank you for joining us today on the podcast. Thank you so much for having me. So, Catherine, like what I know about you is, is what you put out into the world mm-hmm. as a YouTuber. And I I should say um, for listeners, this is a first time to, to talk to a YouTuber. But, mm-hmm. you know, it is a thriving method of storytelling in the world these days. So it, it feels appropriate to have a chat with you about it. So I'm wondering, you know, were you always the the crafty kid is has this come out of something that has been not necessarily a lifelong passion but an interest um from a young age so I would have so for context like I'm 34 so when I went to school I feel like up until like creativity is kind of encouraged and it's always like that fun activity to do on a Friday afternoon Mm -hmm. and then when you kind of get into you know, secondary school, you know, art is kind of seen as like, you know, the dosser subject and it's not really encouraged. It's always seen as like, you know, a hobby or something. So I would have been, you know, the girl with the paints and the crayons and, you know, do like the crafty stash. But I feel like for me anyway, we kind of lose it when we get to that kind of, you know, like teenage age. And then like into my early 20s and then I actually reignited then when I had bought my first home and I like a lot of first time buyers and so much of your money is gone into your deposit, your fees, Mm -hmm. everything else. And I had enough money literally for like a kettle and a fridge and a cooker, Uh, but I had no table and chairs to sit on any 
So um, I like Irish people are great because your family, your friends are like, oh, here's a table or so-and-so has a sofa, take them. And um, getting hand-me-downs was amazing. And then that's when it all kind of, you know, just started again, because like while it's great to have, you know, some bits and pieces in your house to get you started, you still want to make it a home and you want to put your own kind of personality into it. And that's when I'd like go to these workshops and upcycling workshops and sewing and things like that. And then I got like straight back into it and I would just get the buzz. So whether it was, you know, like my kitchen table and chairs, I got them for like 50 quid off like adverts and painted them and things like that. I just got such a buzz from it. And it was like, I got more buzz from that than actually like going into a shop to buy something. Mm-hmm. I I loved finding something on adverts or like getting a notification and something was free in the area and then going off, collecting it, bringing it back, upcycling it, changing it, doing something different. So that's kind of the background. So yeah, I would have been. And then I kind of feel like for my age, it, it could be totally different in school nowadays. Maybe those creative stuff is kind of encouraged more but um yeah art was the dosser subject and it was more of a hobby but like it was like do something sensible like business or do you mm. know what I mean I do and, and like then, yeah you and I I'm two years older than you um but mm. like we're similar generation so I'm guessing similar style of education um and like it does strike me as a bit odd that we come out of 14 years of school and yeah. not know, you know, the difference between a screw head and a Phillips head screwdriver. Exactly. Or, you know, or, or, yeah. or like even, or what you can actually do without having to call a tradesperson in to do. Yeah. And do you know what? When I look back at school, I'm like, God, I wish I had done woodwork or mm. I wish I had done because they're the things nowadays that it's actually, it's quite hard to find a good work woodworking class or do you know what I mean and I'm like god I wish I had a, and like even just to do it for you know that skill not necessarily to go on and be a carpenter but I think sometimes there's an emphasis of like whatever you do has to you go on and that's your career then for the rest of your life whereas I feel like we're more flexible nowadays yeah. you can do something. I think you're you're right like there's so much of a focus on getting you through secondary school to get the leave mm. insert to get the points to get you into college. Yeah like even simple things like I know it's a whole other conversation but why don't we leave school with our driving licenses why don't we learn how to drive (laughs) and taxes like little things like you know the basics and actually when I was I was 25 when I bought my house and I hadn't a clue how to buy a house and I Mm. felt really thick and I was in the bank and thankfully the girl who was doing the process with me I was like I don't mean to sound really ignorant but like how do you actually buy a house? Because I like, do you arrange an appointment? The the mortgage or the, the house people, when you go and view, how do you make an offer? All of these life skills. And there, yeah, you kind of have to just fend for yourself in the, in the world and figure it out as you go. I bought my own home in 2020. And I remember at the time, thank you very much. And at the time, now I was doing the start of the mortgage application stuff like before lockdown, right? So just before it all kicked off. And so I was terribly lucky in that regard. But I remember going through, and I won't name the bank, but going to like picking up the phone to make an appointment with the local branch. Oh, no, no, no. You can do all of that online. 
And I'm like, yeah, but I don't know how it works. I want to talk exactly. to a human being. <laughs> so, yeah, I totally get where you're coming from there. I really do. Um, I think you're right. And maybe, do you know what? Maybe it is part of the curriculum nowadays. Maybe I, I don't know. but I, I Yeah, no, I don't know anyone who's, I think teenagers today are way more savvy. And also I notice like a lot of them are like, encourage more with their creativity so mm-hmm. I'm seeing like amazing photographers amazing video editors like kids creating stuff online that's just like big quality and I think there's more jobs in the creative industry now and I think they're starting to be seen as like actual proper jobs and not just kind of like your ma saying oh that's grand for a hobby but you'll have to have a sensible mm-hmm. job because you mm-hmm. won't make money from writing books or whatever it is so I think we can like have a creative kind of outlet whether it's you know in a career or just a hobby or a side hustle and just something that gives you kind of like joy but something that you can explore a creative avenue to explore so you bought your house when you were 25 um Mm. like all first-time buyers as you said budget was never mind tight non-existent (laughs) you know so you have to go and figure out how to do things yourselves like growing up was there anybody in the house that was into DIY like that you might have picked up some skills from like what was your base knowledge starting out so I would kind of just like watch people and what they do so like if I like I not re- like my dad was the original upcycler. He was the original. He loved the skip. He loved him and my uncle. I feel like I've evolved the skill because I will actually make it and make it pretty. Whereas they would like they'd build a shed. There could be a tin roof on it. There could be like an interior door used as the door on it, like exterior door. There could be a random window put in it. And it could have be like felt lined or something and it would serve its purpose. It was a shed, I had a door, I had a window, but it just wouldn't be as pretty. Whereas I love mixing materials and I love taking something, but I'll give it a little bit of extra TLC and give it a nice lick of paint or a mm. stitch of curtain for it. And I'll just take it that extra mile to like make it pretty. So um, I've always kind of been surrounded by people who love to kind of reuse things and use what you have and like make it better like because some people are like oh I'm, like make do and mend and it's like well you don't have to make do and mend like you can make do and make it better as well so you can take a hand-me-down but you don't have to like you can make it yours and your own and you can like put your own stamp on it and make it prettier and make it work for like your house, you know? Yeah. So like instead of make, do and mend, you could instead of making do, it's just you're you're mending and improving. Yeah. Make it better. Exactly. <laughs> so, OK, you, you get the house. Uh, mm. Necessity forces you to put all of these interests in into practice. Yeah. That's one thing deciding to record yourself doing it and putting yourself in front of the camera on the internet. How did that come about? (laughs) So I started, I started a blog back in 20, like 13, 2014, when it was, it was blog first. So I think social media kind of grew arms and legs and like 2014 social media was a much different place to like 2022 social media. There was very little, if any, video content except for YouTube. Mm -hmm. Most people had blogs and websites and then you would post pictures on like Facebook and Instagram and Instagram was still pretty much in its infancy. So um, 
I started sharing like on my website, like really bad. I loved like vintage fashion and tea dresses. And I had started like a blog kind of about that really. And then I was sharing the projects that I was doing in my house. So I'd post it on like Facebook and be like, I had such excitement that I just wanted to show people. So like, and I'd go to like a workshop and I was like, oh my God, I painted this table. And it was like, I just wanted to like share it. And so that like slowly evolved to the point where I, I wouldn't say became an expert, but I would share how I did something because people would kind of, I would get more and more of the same question like, oh, how did you paint your kitchen? How did you sew that? How did you do this? So then I was like, okay, I would take those questions and I would create, you know, like blog posts and I would take pictures. But also with, you know, doing the projects, I actually really love photography. I love camera lenses. I am into the whole process of creating Mm. the actual content. I love making videos. I love, I get excited about, you know, getting a particular angle or a shot or, you know, getting the blurry background on something. Um, So when those two kind of like marry, I think that's when I got really excited to you know create content on YouTube and I kind of wish I started YouTube earlier and a lot of people kind of say that because for a long time you put off doing it because you do have them like oh what if it's not good enough you know perfectionism or whatever and I remember at the time I had heard someone online saying like you have to just start and there is no perfection and it's like simply like just begin if you want Mm -hmm. to kind of do something so yeah I just started putting out weekly YouTube videos and like at the time like I was working full-time and this was my hobby this was my side hustle I wasn't getting any or a lot of income at all from it I was just sharing it because I loved it and then it just kind of evolved and thankfully like so in 2020 like a lot of people I was you know on the furlough and thankfully I did have YouTube that I love was how we all me. know that word we know that sorry word. to interrupt but we never it was an American it was a thing you t- see on our here in American dramas and now all of a sudden yeah. oh yeah we know what furlough looks like yeah, yeah. I was like what's the furlough it's <laughs> like oh, okay <laughs> so uh yeah and a lot of so I was putting out my YouTube videos and then we were obviously like you know in lockdown and all of that content that I had created was even more relevant because people were at home and they were wanting to do you know things and they want to know how to do things so um I had more kind of people tuning in then to you know YouTube and Instagram and stuff and people kind of just wanted a bit of escapism as well yeah. because the news like I don't know about you, but there was days where I think I was like doom scrolling, they call it, where you're just glued to like the daily figures at the time of, you know, who's being sick. And I'm like, oh, God, when you look back and like the state our mental health was in at the time, Mm -hmm. like I remember me and my friends were like, oh, my God, did you see the case numbers today? Um, But a lot of people were kind of, you know, loving the escapism that like doing creative stuff was given them so whether it was you know the banana bread or the tie-dye or even painting your garden walls and um everyone was like god everyone's garden was lovely and because we were all out and you know doing things um so yeah I kind of had just like evolved from there but yeah I had like my full-time job while I was doing it and um it was 
in last year, last January. So I was made redundant from my day job. And it was just at a time where thankfully what I was doing online was giving me a monthly income that I was able to kind of support myself. And so that's kind of how it evolved like over time. So basically it was just, you know, a hobby. I was sharing it on the internet. And then over the years, I just evolved into video content um, because sometimes it's easier to show someone how to do something than it is to Mm -hmm. explain in a a blog post or whatever. So you can be like, hey, watch this video. Here's how I actually did it. And um, that's kind of how it grew over the years. But it's been slow and steady. I think sometimes people might find you now and be like, oh, she's after... He loves the followers ever, but like, um, it it is a slow and steady kind of pace. You know, I've been doing this since kind of like 2014. Um, so it hasn't kind of been overnight. It's blown up. Like I know now it's really popular on like TikTok and all these platforms to be doing like room makeovers and furniture flips. But um, they were still popular back then. But I think everything kind of comes around again, doesn't it? So, Catherine, you know, for people who are not YouTube viewers, um, mm. and, and I'm not, I'm not asking you to reveal your uh, your bank balance or anything like that. <laughs> but um, in a nutshell, like, how does one earn money through posting videos on the likes of YouTube? Yeah, so on YouTube, you'll have AdSense. So when you watch a YouTube video, you'll see your ads like at the front, um, sometimes during at, and at the end of a video. So those like five second ads or whatever they are, most of us hit, skip. Uh, continue, skip. Yeah, <laughs> that's what um, So that's how you make a revenue from YouTube. But it's not what people think. Like it's not like tens of thousands a month, like some really large channels that have a lot of viewerships like it's like what all things it's like the top one percent will make an absolute fortune but for most joe soaps on youtube you're just making a modest monthly wage probably like what you'd be making in a full-time job you're not um yes you can have some good months if you have some videos that Mm -hmm. do well but for a lot of creators um you are just making like a nice normal monthly wage that you probably made in your day job you know so youtube in your case um knows say if i'm watching dainty dress diaries Mm -hmm. um and they know well whether or not i've watched the ad and if i have you you get a a a a portion from from that okay and then same like you know on your website as well or if like you know podcasters do it there'll be like some ads and then also like i will do some sponsorships Mm -hmm. so i don't do as many because um I try and like if I do accept a sponsor, it's it has to kind of be aligned. You know yourself. Yeah. Uh, you wouldn't kind of just randomly start promoting a toothbrush or something random. It has to kind of be in line with what you do. Um, so yeah, sponsorships are great, and that's obviously you get more money for them than you know your YouTube. So that's a good way of kind of you know bulking up your income if you are kind of um, like struggling with your creative work. Getting some sponsorships is a good way to kind of keep fueling doing the creative stuff. That in itself though, like, you know, having to go out to, to look for the sponsors and like, mm. you know, I, I hope now you have support, but obviously when you started out, you didn't have a team of people around you that could help you do all of that. No, God, no. And a lot of people don't like, actually now I only have one girl who gives me a dig out with some admin work, but I still do all the editing and filming myself um, because like, I mean, creative like video editors everything like that's all like an expense to to your business and mm-hmm. it's great when you can like afford to 
like do that but most of the kind of creators that I know they still do like their own you know editing creating I mean I was actually laughing yesterday because before I was doing Ireland AM and I was chatting with the lads just before we went live um Alan and Tommy and they were like you edit yourself and who sets up the camera for you and I was like that's me and they're like who tests your sound? And I was like, that's me. <laughs> and then who comes up with the idea? I'm like, that's also me. <laughs> so you're literally a one man band. You're a production, you're the talent, you're the makeup, hair, you're the editor, you know, you're literally everything, you know? Yeah, no, absolutely. And I, I, I've worked in radio for, for many years now and, and it's always the joke that the people who work in TV get an easier ride of it because they have a team through the nature yeah. of it. Whereas like that, in, in it, I know radio is not visual, but like like you were explaining there like we have to do everything ourselves like yeah and even like when I used to be on news desks people would ask me so once you've read the news like what do you do next and you're like well you go record the interviews and you you edit them and you you put you write the story and and then it's like 40 minutes is gone so you're practically back on air and if you look if you're lucky you might have time to run to the bathroom um yeah (laughs) and there's so much behind the scenes of things Mm -hmm. that well me as a like I I didn't know do you know what I mean and it's only when you're in that environment or you're doing it yourself you realize oh god actually there's so much that goes into this now I have to ask because this has been mm-hmm. I, I've been burning to know this right mm-hmm. and and I love in, like decorating my home and and mm-hmm. like you know not necessarily doing exactly what you do but you know putting my own style on it but the idea of putting my home on the internet does mm-hmm. it ever make you nervous that like you know that like if I were to drive by your house and accidentally look in your living room window I'd probably <laughs> know it was your living room because of the sofa do you know what I mean do you drive by people's houses no and look I don't in their living I do rooms? not no never I don't ever but I, I suppose yeah <laughs> that bit of you know and I think it's a very Irish thing maybe that we're we've very much got a boundary between uh, private life and public life mm-hmm. uh, bringing your work making your 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 living space your home uh, your sanctuary making that public you know was that something that concerned you or concerns you no not really I am I suppose I have you know like boundaries like I don't share the front of my house mm-hmm. um, and I obviously don't share you know the road I live on and obviously like my I don't even think my neighbours actually know what I do. <laughs> and I chat to them, but I don't, I don't think they actually know what I do. Um, and obviously the location of where I live, I try, you know, not to sh- share that. Um, and then sharing your address. Obviously, if someone wants to really find out where you live, you, they can find out. Yeah. But, um, you know, just have an L ring doorbell on the front door. And if someone is lurking outside ring the guards but that has never been kind of like an issue Um, I do have boundaries when it comes to kind of what I share online and I don't share you know like family online and personal kind of stuff so like for me to be like oh here's what I'm doing in the garden this week and here's what I painted in my house this week or here's this um you know, I'd like to kind of keep that as my topic because I know like on YouTube and social media people, their life is their content. So Mm. like they'll share their family and, you know, whatever. Whereas I keep it just about like me and my co-star Blondie the cat and what we're getting up to and people kind of respect that. Um, But no, touch wood, I haven't had any kind of issues like that at all. 
I think you do it really well. I think, yeah, it's, I was having a conversation with somebody recently where she was like, you know, it, it strikes me as really strange that I know what so-and-so's child looks like, but I've never yeah. actually met the child. Yeah. And that's not, I'm not saying that as a criticism for, of people who, who do share their entire lives on, but it's, I suppose the way you but you know, that's co- the same for, you know, like Facebook friends. So mm-hmm. that actually happened to me before where like this person isn't, is not an influencer, um, has a private Facebook page. I'm just friends with the um, person and I seen her daughter and I was like, oh, hey, so-and-so. And then I realized, oh my God, she doesn't know who I am. And I was like, God. And that was like, that wasn't an influencer's child. Yeah. That was just someone who I used to work with who you know, from seeing on like, you know, a private Facebook page. And I think, I think nowadays, I think everyone is an influencer, whether you have five to 10 to 500 followers to 5 million. I think we all carry the same risk of, you know, if we share, you know, our family online, people, yeah, you are kind of, regardless of what your following is, I think there is that risk. The way you do it, I think comes across as being really professional. And okay. it's good it, as in like it's clear to me as a viewer that this is your job, you know, okay. and, and that you yeah. keep your family life, your, you know, your, your, your bad days or whatever that might be look like you, mm. you keep them off uh, offline. Um, and yeah. it just no, I just was really curious about it because I think it'd be something that I know a lot of people would be worried about, about putting like their ins, their, their, their inside of their house on the Internet. So I was interested to hear, um, I suppose, your perspective on it now. This all started out, as you said, as a blog. It was the the hobby. Then it became the side mm-hmm. hustle. You know, next thing it's YouTube. You're getting national attention. And now you've released a book. <laughs> I know. And that hasn't sunk in yet because that's just... I was chatting to like one of the girls earlier and I'm like, I'm in a total bubble right now. I feel like I've had a newborn baby. Like I have no physical kids. And I feel, I was saying to uh, Sharon, who has been helping me, she's been doing some like coaching with me the past couple of months. And um, I was like, I'm just in this like bubble. And she's like, uh, she's also an author. And she's like, yeah, enjoy it. It's, It's great. Like, and it's okay to kind of, like not let it sink in for a bit because it is a weird thing like on Friday I walked into like Eason's the biggest like bookseller and I was like there's my book (laughs) and I'm like can I sign that and uh, yeah it's just bizarre and actually the book again I love I do think timing does be right kind of in your life when things come up because it wasn't long after I was made redundant that I got an email from Elena in O'Brien and it was like, oh, you know, have you ever thought like writing a book? And I actually, you know, I was interested in doing like before even O'Brien had approached me, I wanted to do some sort of like, you know, ebook or something because I have so many projects that mm. just gets buried and lost in the internet. And um, when she approached me, I was like, yeah, absolutely. Like I was, first of all, I was like, listen, let's just hop on a call because I didn't know what goes into the making of a book. Um, obviously I know what kind of goes into it but like it takes an absolute village to put you know a book together and I had my initial kind of chat with the two girls and then the next step was Elena was like listen work on a proposal and submit it to us and then we'll put your proposal then to the team like you know the sales team and the board 
and then yeah it was like last May because we were joking about it we were in the warehouse and um, signing books and it was like the end of April and I was like god we're coming up to where like anniversary where you were like you gave me that phone call to say right keep writing we're gonna publish your book and um yeah so around about the May time um I remember actually because we were allowed out of our I think 10k was the rule mm-hmm. and I drove over to the Malahide Garden Centre to meet my friend Karen because that was like middle ground for us and the restaurants or nothing was open you could only get takeaway coffees and go to the garden center and I was meeting Karen that morning for the first time in the whole of that like third lockdown and uh, I got that phone call and I was actually like Karen I'm going to write a book <laughs> and uh, yeah then it was I had to put my head down and doing the book was great because I I'm a sort of person having like a full-time job, I was used to getting up early and going to work. So when you're made redundant, you're kind of like in a limbo of, mm. oh God, like I don't want to be sleeping in or and I still wanted a routine. So um, with the book writing process was, I'd still get up at six, and but I would just go to my office and I'd write for like two or three hours and then that was it. And I'd leave it for the day and then I'd have to go and do, you know, like YouTube or whatever. But um yeah that was kind of how like the book kind of came about and then I had to do all the fun like edits and thankfully Nicola my editor was amazing because um like it'd be hard because she'd be like can you reword this and like that doesn't make sense now can you write that like the sewing section we we were like labor pains with the sewing section to make sure it made sense and then proofreads and things like that and then yeah it's as if it's as if all that pain never happened and now the book is out and it's in people's hands and uh, it all feels like a blur. I know like as you've said there you've been working on this like consistently for the last 12 months but Mm. and that's a long period of time but really in the book world that's a really fast turnaround. Yeah and the girls now when I had my first phone call and the girl said you know most books take like two years because you know they were explaining why. And I was like, I'm not taking two years to write a book because if you tell me two years, it'll take me two years. So I was like, listen, I'm gonna, like, this is a timeline if you, they were like, listen, if you can have your uh, initial manuscript in by the end of summer, we can go through it and then we can go ahead for like spring 2022. If not, it will be spring 2023. And that just felt like such a long time away. and it was just in me. It just came out and whatever. So, yeah, I got it in and it was grand. And we got it out for this spring. And I am definitely, like, as a person, I'm a spring, summer person. Winter is not my jam. I'm definitely one of them people who have the the sad. And for me, winter is, I know it's a busy time with, like, Christmas and stuff, but I definitely do hibernate and I do have my own seasons. So when the girls were like, yeah, we'll, it will be a spring publication. I was like, yes, because even me as a person, I have just way more energy when like the clocks change and the bright evenings. And it's definitely like a spring, you know, book. So I was delighted with like, you know, the timing and how it all just fell into place, really. Now, talk to me about Monty Don. You, oh my God. You have a bit, a, a bit of fandom about him, I think. Oh my God. Do you know, actually, I, into, was it 2019? 
2018, whichever um, year it was, I was at a press day at the Chelsea Flower Show and uh, I was just like gone around whatever and I all of the like gardeners were people there like I love Carol Klein and there was loads of people at the, you know, like doing their thing and I remember like Monty Dom was filming like a segment thing he was just filming like an intro because I think they film um that day and then you watch it that evening the week of Chelsea oh, on wow. BBC and uh I was like oh my god and I loved him because he was still wearing his same old chinos because you kind of have this assumption like oh Chelsea flower show this is going to be very posh and mm-hmm. posh and print but it wasn't it was just normal and uh he had the same little garden chinos on that you would see on the telly, so down to earth. And he walked past me and I got starstruck. And I was like, oh my God, Monty Don just walked past me. And um, yeah, and I was like, he is such a humble, down to earth, normal person. And I loved it. And uh, yeah, I watched Gardener's World religiously every Friday. He can say no wrong, <laughs> do no wrong. <laughs> he is my garden like Bible and whatever they do, like you get your jobs for the weekend on a Friday in Gardener's World and it's gas. My friend Karen, if she misses an episode, she'll, or she, maybe she has it on record. She'd be like, what was the jobs for the weekend <laughs> on Gardener's World? And I'd be like, oh, you have to prune your tomato or pinch out your tomatoes this week. And she'd be like, oh, all right, thanks. Uh, but yeah, love it. On Friday evening, eight o'clock, I will have a large bottle of Guinness and I will just watch Gardener's World. It's the most relaxing program ever. I love it. And so you started out like upcycling the mm-hmm. the hand-me-down furniture to mm-hmm. to redecorating and renovating the whole home. And now the garden is part and parcel of what you do. And it seems that timing wise, again, you've gotten really lucky because we are all getting more conscious about the environment and, and what we can and should be doing to uh, to our gardens and and even you know growing our own uh, veg maybe in small amounts salad and stuff like that so you really seem to be right on schedule as far as the mood of people currently yeah and obviously um when i kind of moved in in 2014 and actually my dad was an amazing gardener and i had an uncle as well who would have like polytunnels and things like that um but obviously when you're younger you don't appreciate mm-hmm. that you're just like that's not cool <laughs> <laughs> but um so i like in 2000 and around about 14 i had like i did do some basic gardening but i always seen it as a chore at the time especially when you're um you know when you're working and then you come home, it's like, oh, I have to cut the grass. Or now I like live for cutting the grass. It's like meditation. But um, I suppose like during lockdown, I kind of expanded on a couple of like my garden areas. But then I actually kind of, I got better in like last year. And that's when I kind of, and do you know what? I think it's because I was made redundant because I didn't have the, I suppose the schedule of, you know, my, my day job kind of, you know, schedule. And I had, you know, the time that I could kind of put into the garden. And now I still probably 
do the same amount of time in the garden week compared to when I was working full time. But I think I just had more mental space for it. And um, I did a bit of veg. I, I never was mad for kind of, you know, growing veg and stuff. Um, I kind of grow it as an experiment. Sure, I'd give half of it away. So this year I actually, I was like, no, I'm going to grow the things that I actually eat, which is proper sustainable. Do you know what I mean? Instead of like growing, I was growing like turnips or something. Sure, I don't eat them. Um, so <laughs> it's like... I'm the basics. I've got potatoes, I have tomatoes, I have some onions, I have strawberries, the things that, you know, I eat and then herbs. Um, but I, I'm more about like, I love the cut flowers. I love the, you know, perennials and things like that. And I'm trying to like get a wildlife pond going. But um, I'd never kind of do something because it's on trend. Mm. If I do something, it's because I genuinely have an interest in doing that. And I enjoy watching how something you know might grow in the garden or do you know what I mean and I think yeah I'm just loving the process of you know putting it all together um, and gardening teaches you so much it teaches you patience um, and when you get frustrated because the slugs are out <laughs> you have to you know it teaches a like the earth will you have to go by mother nature it's not you can have your plan but mother nature has the final say do you know what I mean weather can interrupt things and yeah it's yeah you made a comment in one of your recent videos there about um I think it was like a tree from your one of your neighbours mm. was the leaves were blowing yeah. in on top of you and and how initially that really annoyed you because obviously it's work to have to clean up leaves. Mm -hmm. But now the more you've learned and the more you, I suppose, have spent time in your own garden, you appreciate, you know, the importance of all of this. Um, yeah. And, and free leaf mould. That's another <laughs> thing I was like, actually, I'm onto something here. <laughs> and it was actually me and Karen go to, our favourite thing is to just, I'll meet her for a coffee and it'll be in the garden centre and it, we'll be the youngest people there. Do you know what I mean? Because, mm -hmm. you know, when you work for yourself, you have your own schedule. So it could be, it's always like in the morning, 10 o'clock and it's like the retired people and then us. Yeah. <laughs> and that's an awful stereotype, but that, that's just the truth during the week because everyone is in school or in work and stuff. And uh, we love going to a garden centre and we were in a nursery there and the pro I love a, a good tree and I didn't realise how expensive trees are and we do this thing where we'll go around the garden centre I'm like right Karen guess the price um, because like some of them could be like 50 quid and then some of them will be like 1,500 for a tree and we are just like oh my god like I didn't realise and then when I was out my back garden one of the days I was like there's at least 50 grand worth of trees over the wall that's a council planted <laughs> and I just appreciated them so much and I was like oh my god like first of all that tree and I have like a couple of birds nesting in the garden. There's a family of blackbirds and um, the pigeons are always making love in my garden. <laughs> and I'm like, okay. And uh, you can see how, like, I was like, God, if I didn't have, you know, those trees or those bushes or those things growing, how, like, that little habitat wouldn't be there. Yeah. And there's, like, we have hedgehogs uh, on our road. So my neighbour has, like, a hedgehog house. I have one. And where I was like, oh, did you see, like, the hedgehogs or whatever? And it's like, yeah, you can kind of, you know, build and they will come. But, like, it, it gives me that appreciation of what was already here. So, like, my borrowed landscape that would have kind of been like, oh, God, all of these leaves is now actually, oh, thank you. Like, it gives me screening. It gives the birds a habitat. And, yeah, we need them now more than ever. 
I love your perspective on it, and um, I probably like. I, I, I'm, I'm guessing the reason it struck a chord with me when I heard you say it, when my dad passed away very suddenly in, from sepsis in November 2020. And, and I'm sorry to hear that. To, um, to mark it, you know the way like the, the tradition of like the, the, the flowers, the, the wreaths and all of that. And yeah. I suppose in my head, I didn't want these plastic th- containers being stuck yeah. in the grave. I didn't really see it as, as what he would have liked. So we, yeah. what we did was if instead of asking people to give us flowers or I say permitting them to give us flowers, put it that way, um, we we said, look, if you'd like to do something, plant a tree in his memory and plant a native yeah. Irish species tree because he was big into he, he worked for the Department of Agriculture um, he studied agricultural science and he was really into um, the environment and, and what he could do for it and when you said that to me about like you know the borrowed landscape and mm. on, on on your video on the you know the the little habitats that are in each of these, it got me thinking. I was like, oh yeah, like you know, in twenty thirty years time, you know, at this stage now, I think there's been about forty trees planted in his honor, including one yeah. at his at his golf course. Um, yeah. So like, it's just like these little things that we can do actually have a significant impact in the long term. Yeah, and I remember being so appreciative. I was like, God, that person, I wonder does the person who, I don't know, the trees are really mature, that's right beside my house. And I was like, maybe it was 20 years ago they planted them, could be more. And I was like, God, I wonder did the person who was planted them that day realise that I would be very, I would be having a moment of appreciation um, for them because, and especially like if, when you live like in like a built up area and stuff, um, I you do kind of appreciate the greenery that is kind of like around you and I love um I've noticed in the past couple of years around my area like the council leave wild patches Mm. and they have you know bug hotels and they're doing like planting um like the spring bulb planting like they're leaving the seed heads on them Whereas, I don't know about you, growing up as a kid, everything was like, just cut everything, oh, cut the grass all the time, basically manicured we, lawn. <laughs> we lived on golf courses, like everything yeah. was, <laughs> the lawnmowers were out in force, like, yeah. Yeah. And it's, uh, and yeah. I feel and like I, now, it's, yeah, we, we embrace the wild a little bit, but mm. I think it's because we, well, we have to, I think we've done, we've done too much damaged you know and I think like it is an adjustment like I find myself when I'm driving around in the car going oh god that 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 side of the side of the road there now that that looks a bit grubby and they're like no 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 this is good for biodiversity I have to reframe my thinking on this and and I know it's good for the environment but then when you see it and you're not thinking um about the environment you're going oh that might be looking a bit messy but yeah like we do we, we've no choice really but to make these efforts um to the best of our ability at least yeah and I think like that's one of the things like I try to like I am not a gold star for sustainability by any means but I think everyone can if you you can try like just do something do you know what I mean like I, I try and encourage people to you know maybe if they're sewing or if they're doing something to like use up old clothes that maybe you were going to you know put into something like could go to landfill or you know god knows where they go when you even put them in the clothing banks but um like you reuse old um fabrics for your projects or if you have you know wooden pallets or something or if you have something wooden that like you no longer need what you need you want to make something like try and reuse um like materials instead of kind of going out and buying more obviously I mean there's a time there's no shame in going out mm. and buying something new do you know what I mean but just trying to 
rework and reuse things. Um, Am I right yeah. in thinking you, there at Christmas, you made bunting out of old dresses or skirts? A skirt, yeah. So little mittens and uh, a, like a Christmas garland. And it was just, it was like an old corduroy skirt. And I love the fabric, but sure, that wasn't going near my hips, <laughs> especially after <laughs> that COVID stone is like, no. Oh, do you not mean the COVID five stone? <laughs> oh my God. Do you know what? I never, ever weigh myself. And I had a doctor's checkup. And so I had like one in, let's say like, the start of the year and then one at the end of the year and she's mad for weighing you I don't know why and uh, I I never look at the scale I've no interest in that and then she goes uh, oh your weight is really consistent and I was like I looked at the scale and I was like what I'm a whole stone heavier than I normally am and you mean to tell me I was that a year ago <laughs> so I was like that that's the I think we yeah it's a stone for every lockdown isn't it <laughs> I think so. Asher, look, we've got oh, pl- plenty of time to work it off yeah. um, in, our, in our own way, of course. And exactly. So, Catherine, like you've had a bit of a whirlwind of a couple of years. And yeah. now that the book is out in the world and, you know, you're you're doing a bit of a, well, I suppose it's a new, what constitutes as a press tour now. Um, you know, I suppose it might be a little bit different to what it might have been uh, before lockdown. But mm. I'm wondering, like, what's next? What what have you got planned you, next? You know what? Peop, there's two questions I keep getting asked lately, right? And one of them is, and it's like, I feel sorry for, like, new mothers because I'm like, this is the question that I see them get asked all the time. So the first one is, when's the second one? <laughs> when are you having the second one? <laughs> when's the second book? Mm-hmm. Oh, lovely book, but when's the second one? And I'm like, oh, God. Uh, like... I'm still fresh. Do you know what I mean? I haven't healed from writing the first one. And I was like, God, that's what people say to women after they've given birth to kids. When are you having the second one? And uh, what's next? And so one thing that I'm really guilty of or have been in the past is, you know, you do something, you achieve something, you reach a goal and then you quickly become dismissive and you're like, okay, what's next? On to the next thing. Yeah. And actually, I was saying to one of the girls earlier, I was like, no, I actually want to savor this moment and this period of time, you know, in my life and actually enjoy doing all of the different things. So like as nervous as I was yesterday, like going to do like TV, I actually I did enjoy it. And I loved meeting the people. And even last week, like we were doing like warehouses and we were signing copies. And then on Friday, I got to go to like physical shops and all of the people and that I met like along the way and you know the experiences and the banter and the laugh and you know there's a couple of things coming up um like doing some like demos and stuff but like it's all of those like little experiences that I don't want to be so quick to be like oh on to the next thing and start chasing another thing so a, a period of savoring that's that's what I think this summer will be and who knows it because I was I was I remember saying like to the girls I never know what's going to come in my email inbox so I think sometimes when you have your day job and your regular nine to five like you're kind of constricted in you know growth as in you know maybe you'll get a promotion maybe you'll get an opportunity but 
like when you do what we do, even like yourself with your like creative work and working in media, um, you never know what opportunity is going to just land in your inbox. Like a year ago, I had an email from Elena about a book and, you know, I said yes to that. So, so many things can kind of come up um, and I'm open to offers from the universe and hopefully like with the book the timing will just be right and yeah well who knows <laughs> I feel like I should apologize for asking the question but I do love your answer oh no don't apologize <laughs> it's, it's a good, it is a good question um but I really yeah. I really like the way you're looking at it because it's a very fair point and, I, and when people say it to me I get a bit irked by it as well so yeah I, it's I, like do you know that question in a job interview and you're like where do you see yourself in five years time and I'm like come on now <laughs> that's it's like that question isn't it or if you're the unfortunate soul that goes with a partner to a wedding and so oh when you yeah you're, oh, you're next I heard a comedian say once and I've done it since and it works a treat if you get fed up with people saying that to you uh, usually aunties or uncles sorry folks um, saying that to you <laughs> at, at weddings uh, the next time you're at a family funeral just you know remind them that they might be next and you're uh, next it, it yeah. shuts the conversation down at future events but uh, and I don't know why we're so quick to move people along on their journey it's like and I you know I'm probably guilty of saying those things to people myself Mm -hmm. but I'm I try to kind of check myself and not say them things because you you just don't know you know and uh, yeah to kind of just we're all on our own path or whatever at our own pace it's not a race we're all going to end up in the same place (laughs) aren't we so uh, yeah I noticed that I don't know if it's I don't think it's an Irish thing. I think it's just those phrases we picked up along the way that we might have heard like our mom say to someone or whatever. But yeah, I try not to say to people, you're all oh, your next. Well, <laughs> I, I, I wish you a, a very pleasant summer of savouring all of your achievements. Summer of savouring, yes. <laughs> so, Catherine, I'm going to finish now by asking you the question I ask all my guests. What oh. does storytelling mean to you? I think connection. Because I think without... You can tell a story, but it it comes down to connecting with other people. And for me, if I tell something or if it's, you know, if I share a story, it's it's because of the need to, you know, connect and feel connected and sharing connection and joy. How many times have I said the word connect? <laughs> <laughs> but that's what it's about for me. It's, you know, connecting on an emotional level with other people. Yeah. Well, Catherine of Dainty Dress Diaries fame, congratulations <laughs> on your new Thank book, you so much. Dainty Dress Diaries. And uh, I encourage everybody to go out and get, get your hands on a copy of it <laughs> in all good bookstores now. Catherine, thank you so much for joining us on Ireland thank Creates. Thank you so much. And, and thanks for listening. Thanks for being so generous with your time. Thank you so much. My sincere thanks to Catherine of Dainty Dress Diaries for joining us on the podcast today. You can follow her on her YouTube channel or you can pop along to your local bookshop and pick up a copy of Dainty Dress Diaries for yourself. Well, I hope you enjoyed hearing her story and how she's made a, a full-time living out of YouTube. Uh, it's, um, it's a rare thing, but a very interesting market and one that I'm sensing we'll have some changes in in the not too distant future, but it is very nice to see Irish creatives doing well on it as a platform. 
Next week, we will be joined by documentary photographer Kate Nolan. But for now, if you want to find out more about me or get in contact with me directly to ask about communications coaching, you can do so through ashlingorourke.com. The podcast artwork is by clairecreative.com and the theme tune is by createschool.ie. In the meantime, have a great week and stay